Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi and welcome to Tawheed in the Creation, exploring the book The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body, authored by Bidasani Mani. My name is uh, Muhammad Fasih Peterson and I'm joined once again in studio by Bidasani. Bidasani, assalamualaikum and welcome to the studios once again. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Muhammad Fasih and the listeners out there. But Sally, uh, obviously the program being Tawheed and the creation, uh, we've been focusing a lot on the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in past programs, but the most recent one we spoke about COVID-19, uh, coronavirus and uh, the the effects on the human body. But uh, we decided obviously to delve a little bit more, bit more deeper into the Tawheed aspect and look at the social impact, our duties as Muslims in this crisis, and also how we can use this as a means to gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to define our tawheed and our reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, Muhammad Fasih, I think we'd be missing out on an opportunity if we don't bring Allah to, into the equation. We can be discussing the coronavirus, the effects of it on our households, on our country, on the world without once thinking of Allah. That would be a huge mistake. Allah is the one who is in charge of everything in the world and all those answers that we seek in our own personal lives and in the world can only come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for us to focus on how can this pandemic strengthen our iman, taqwa and bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an essential component that we should be focusing on and that's one of the reasons why we uh, have decided to spend some time on those aspects. I think what we should do is look at this from three aspects. The first aspect, look and make some comments around the whole health aspect uh, and the question of a possible vaccine. Just look at it very briefly. The second aspect, I believe, would be to look at the implications of the lockdown on each one of us, both in terms of isolation as well as the impact that it has on our income. And as you've rightly said, it's not going to happen. It's happened already and it might get worse that people will lose their work and will have no source of income. Then the third aspect that we should be concentrating on would be how do we look at all of these things and bring it back to our understanding and how we uh, practice I believe that that should be, if time allows, we should in fact focus on these three aspects separately. We probably be crossing the lines in between the three, but so just to, to confirm the health aspects, the economic aspects, and then the tohid aspects. So if I can just jump quickly into the health aspects, I think enough has been said about the importance of isolation. And that is the essence of the lockdown. This virus spreads because of social contact. The more people interact and engage with one another, the easier it is for this virus to spread. And the essence of the lockdown tries to minimize the spread of the virus. When people are not 
in contact with one another. The virus can't jump from one person to the other. The question, and it becomes very detailed, and I'm not going to go into all of that, about if you do have the uh, infection, what should you do? Maybe there's other people who will speak about uh, this uh, on other programs. I'm not going to touch on that. I just want to touch on one aspect, and that is the vaccine. The vaccine that people are claiming to have developed, I said that last week and I'm repeating that, nobody as things stand yet, nobody has successfully been able to come up with a vaccine. They are trying out different things. And just to give people a a, a very brief idea of what is the difficulty in developing a vaccine. As we said, this virus is a parasite. On its own, it cannot multiply and give birth to new coronaviruses. On its own, it remains on its own and will probably die. But the moment it attaches itself to one of the human cells, then it sits on the outside of the cell and utilizes the living capacity, ability, and nutrition of the living cell of the human body for it to become alive. And once it comes alive, it takes over more functions of the cells of the human body. And when one cell is infected, then it's able to easily duplicate with the use of the human cell to duplicate itself. And it does it at a extremely rapid rate because the viruses are very simple entities uh, in construction compared to a human body cell. It's simple to duplicate itself. It's very easy. So once it's duplicated and triplicated itself, it can spread at a fast rate. And the only thing that the body can do is the cell itself must fight the attempt of these viruses to hijack the capacity of that cell and it does it through its immune system and here the white blood cells of the body plays a very important role but let me just say without becoming too technical about this there are two ways that they are trying to develop the virus the one way is to develop a virus and people are focusing almost all their energies on this one aspect how do they prevent the actual virus from finding a way to survive, to block it from taking over the host. So by increasing the ability of the body to fight it off, to prevent it from even entering and becoming a problem, that's the one part and that that's where the whole thing about antibodies and the immune system becomes so important. And then the second part is they actually want to get into the virus itself and identify the component within the virus and they can actually do that. Whether they've successfully uh, did that already, I'm not sure. But to identify that component within the virus that's responsible for the duplication process. So in other words, you might infect the cell, but if you target that aspect that duplicates itself and gives rise and birth to new viruses, if they can target that 
in a very precise way, then yes, you can maybe infect one cell, but the vaccine that they will develop uh, will block it from, from, from multiplying. Now, the problem with that is, from what I understand, is they must do it in such a way where the vaccine that they inject into the body doesn't then affect all the cells of the human body. So the difficulty is to find a solution that will be aimed at dealing with the virus specifically without creating new problems in the human body. Now, that may have been sounded a bit technical, but uh, those are the problems that makes it so difficult to, to actually come up with a vaccine. And to say that um, nobody has found it, that I can tell you as a matter of fact, no matter what news is sent to you, the moment a, a vaccine is developed, it will be informed to us from the normal Channel. official channels. But I can tell you, even if they develop the vaccine, to produce it in sufficient numbers to get it to everybody on time is going to be a struggle and a worldwide challenge because it will come from one source and must be distributed in literally billions of uh, vaccines to cater for the needs of the world population. So looking at the vaccine is more finding a way to prevent this from happening again rather than solving the current crisis. So what should we do? We must now prevent the spread of it and try and deal with it because they say viruses under normal circumstances like the flu, eventually the body finds a way to deal with it. Of course, there will be casualties like there are with other viruses like HIV and flu and Ebola and so on the body eventually finds a response to deal with it. So in the past, like with the flu, you let the body work out a response to it. But we have the challenge to come up with placing the body in a position to be able to fight. And that is to strengthen our immune system. And maybe you have one or two comments that you'd like to make on that, Fasih. Uh, but Asani, um, also just on that, I want to maybe jump to another aspect which is also related to health. And I think uh, there's a sense of apathy among some people uh, when it comes to taking precautions. And they're saying, oh, you know what, uh, you have to live your life. You, know, you can't sanitize everything, you can't live in that space. But if we consider the fact, and Bersani mentioned this before we started with our program, and that is that it started from patient zero. It started from one person who got this virus in China, thousands of miles from where we are. And that one person gave it to someone else, who gave it to someone else, or he gave it to a number of people to get to the point where we are now. So it just cost one person who is out in the community uh, not taking precautions, and that person can affect hundreds of thousands of people. So if we look at that from the point of view of how we are informed as Muslims, how important is it for us then to be responsible, not just for those people who have contracted the virus, but also for others who have not yet, and may Allah protect us, who have not contracted the virus, but who don't practice those safety measures? People who are irresponsible, not just here, and having a very casual attitude towards this virus, unfortunately, is something that's unavoidable. Uh, you find it in other countries. You find it even in the leaders of the world. 
and one of the reasons why some countries have taken a casual approach to this and even a reckless approach to this is because they didn't understand the urgency of it. And you're going to find that all I can say to the listeners out there, treat this as a very, very serious crisis. And our role now is firstly to protect ourselves from being infected. And if we are potential carriers uh, of this virus, because you can be a carrier of the virus without showing any signs or symptoms of being infected, but can actually be positive. So the second thing that one should do is you must ensure that you don't potentially infect others. And that is what I can suggest to people, but to treat it in a way that this is a minor thing is both foolish and I think it's actually haram. If I can go so far as to say it's haram, that you behave in a way where you can be having a detrimental impact on your surroundings and people around you without taking the precautions, Allah is very displeased with that kind of behavior. Uh, particularly when we know that uh, core to our belief system as Muslims is the preservation of life and the responsibility that we have as Muslims to ensure that, I mean, if we think about the fact that a Muslim gets rewarded for removing a stone or, or, or some obstacle out of the path of another human being, how then is it so important to protect and preserve the life of other human beings? You see, Muhammad Fasih, uh, we all claim to be good Muslims. We all claim to have Iman and Taqwa. You can say anything. The true test is judged on your behavior and your actions. That is the test. You can make whatever claim you want, but the true test. So a person who says and behaves in such an unacceptable way is actually demonstrating to us what is the state of his heart. You clearly would be lacking in iman and taqwa and belief because you're going against what Allah is pleased with or, or not following the guidelines to stay away from those things that are negative and detrimental to others because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Rasulullah sallallahu has reminded us that um, the people who will be considered to have the most taqwa are the people who are beneficial to others. That's how your taqwa can be measured. So if you do things in an irresponsible way, I think enough is said we shouldn't even spend enough time on debating whether it's correct or not. It's clearly incorrect to behave in that way. And we should remind people, but do not be distracted by the comments or even the arguments and don't get into debates with them around us. That's a, a fruitless no point kind of debate to get into it. Rather just remove yourself from those kinds of discussions. I think the thing that we should rather focus on, which is the second part of what we said, uh, Muhammad Fasih, is what is the economic fallout? Last week we mentioned that people are going to lose their jobs. By now people have already, I know many, many, many people have lost their jobs or about to lose their jobs. And how do we deal with this crisis in our community now? I think that's the part that we should rather be focusing on now. 
inshallah. And we'll do that after the break. The program is Tawheed and the Creation, normally exploring the book The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body. This evening we're branching off to, into another aspect of Tawheed, which we will be covering a little bit later on. But we're looking at the broader scope of the challenge with COVID-19, coronavirus, and how we as Muslims need to look at what's happening, what lessons we need to take from uh, what is happening, and how we can grow even in these difficult times as Muslims, inshallah. We'll return after this, inshallah. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back to Tawheed and the Creation. And uh, in studio with me is uh, Sadi Mani. Now, we are looking at COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus, and the impact on us as, as a community, and also various aspects, but all linked to our growth, our spiritual growth as Muslims, how we improve our Tawheed and our our sense of understanding the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, Abid Sadi had mentioned before the break that we would be looking at the economic impact. And uh, obviously there's a huge humanitarian impact which goes with that. The fact that people will be losing their jobs, the fact that companies will be scaling down, the fact that potentially there will be more homeless people on the streets, there will be more um, people who will not be able to purchase basic services in a country that is already constrained with poverty and other challenges and um, the economic impacts of so many different forces. So how do we as Muslims then, number one, respond, not just in our own personal capacity, in our own environment, but also how we impact society in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in a way that can make a positive difference? Muhammad Fasih, the first thing to say is this lockdown is for 21 days. Nobody knows what the state of the world and the country will be after 21 days. No one knows. No one knows. Will it be worse? Will the situation have stabilized and will the curve, as they say, have flattened sufficiently for us to go back to normal mode? Nobody knows. So the first thing to say, and I'm not saying this to scare people, I'm saying it for a reason, that this crisis may go on for much longer than 21 days. It, in fact, might go on for months, two to three months, in my view, at the least. Two to three months, things are going to be not normal, which means that we must take precautions. And I want to make a very practical suggestion. If you think that you have a job now, make sure that you don't take it for granted. Things might change where that even if you do have a job, the company that's employing you might not be able to employ you for various reasons because everything is going to go into a completely different mode. Uh, And some businesses are going to try and keep people employed and pay them, but they can only do it up to a certain point. Then a point will arrive where people will actually be without a job and without any income whatsoever. These things are not known, but it's things that we have to prepare for. So the first thing that I want to say, all of us must go back to the drawing board, draw up a budget of what your expenses are for the month, and look at what are your potential savings that you can go back to if you were to lose your job 
or your income, do it for a month. For two months, in my view, ideally, you should look at what are you going to do over the next three months. If we have a job for one month, then work out how you're going to cover the shortfall for the next two months. If you've already lost your job, then of course, it's a bigger problem. Now, no one can solve this problem on their own. We're going to have to look at a very real and practical way. I would suggest look at your own immediate family unit, your own personal family, uh, and look at what is the income. Will you be able to survive over the next 21 days? Treat that as the, the first challenge, both in terms of what is needed in the house. But don't go and spend everything, because this is what I've seen. People are actually going out there, spending their last bit of money to stock up for 21 days as if that is the period after which things are going to turn back to normal. There's no guarantee about that. We don't know how long it's going to last. What if it lasts for another month and you've spent all your money? Don't go and buy luxuries and unnecessary things because you're going to be at home and what you're going to do. So now you buy extra juices or drinks and chips and chocolates and stuff because what are you going to do at home? Try and treat the little bit that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you in terms of rizq and try and spread it out as far as you can. If you are one of the fortunate people who may have, alhamdulillah, uh, more than what three months would, would, would require of you, you have an obligation to look at the people around you, your extended family and your neighbors and look at how you can make a contribution there towards removing this difficulty from their minds about surviving. Now, that's food. What about the other problems about rent or electricity and water? Essentials like electricity, you obviously have to set aside. I would suggest that you make a plan to phone or contact the banks to discuss with them, or if you don't have your own home, your landlord, and see if you can make arrangements with respect to paying your bond or your rent for the month and find out what kind of system can be put in place so that you don't sit with the immediate crisis because we're going to have an absolutely horrendous crisis at the domestic level. I'm not even going to talk about if this virus continues, how it's going to impact on the country. What I can though say is that the people who have been drawing government pensions, whatever pensions they are, that alhamdulillah, there's a guarantee that people will still get their pensions, that that's not going to be affected over the next couple of months. That government will ensure that th those amounts are paid to people. So <laughs> uh, on a more lighter note, it might be that um, we've taken the pensioners uh, for granted. They might be the only breadwinners in your home for a, for a couple of months. So treat them better now on a lighter note. Inshallah. On that note, we're going to go for a break. When we come back, we will continue. Of course, Tawheed and the Creation is the program. Uh, normally exploring the book, The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body. But this evening, <coughs> focusing on the effects of Corona, COVID-19 virus. And uh, when we return, Inshallah, we will be speaking about those aspects of the fact that we are tested and ask the question why are we tested how can we adapt and learn from these and grow in these times of difficulty inshallah uh, when we come back after the break we will continue stay tuned 
Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi Welcome back to Tawheed and the Creation Exploring the book The Big Bang The Amazing Human Body Normally But tonight Focusing on the aspect of Tawheed squarely And particularly In relation now To how we as Muslims Need to engage with this challenge uh, Before the break Prasari mentioned Various economic and social challenges Many people will be losing their jobs Many people will be put on short time uh, To secure companies revenues so that they continue to be able to operate but now when we look at this with all of these challenges not just the virus that we need to be worried about many people will turn and ask why is Allah testing us why is Allah Subhanahu bringing this a challenge upon the dunya at this time and how do we need to respond and how do we then need to turn to Allah Subhanahu in times of difficulty such as this Muhammad Fasih we turn to the Quran and the Sunnah for our guidance on these issues Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran verse 67-2 and I quote He who created death and life to test you as to which of you are best indeed and he is the exalted in might the forgiving those of us who will be tested so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can establish who is best indeed indeed in other words in our actions in our behavior and in our conduct Allah says and promises us that Allah will test us so life is this one of the tests yes it is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has warned us that we will be tested but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also made it very clear in verse 2 of the Quran 2.286 on no soul doth Allah place a burden greater than it can bear. Allah says that in the Holy Quran. Allah won't give us more because Allah knows every single person's capacity and we will all be tested differently with different things. But Allah won't give you more than Allah knows you can bear. Allah is. So if you're going through extreme difficulty, Allah knows you are able to bear that. But comes the the other part that must be read with that, innama al-usri yusra, innama al-usri yusra. Verily after difficulty comes ease or relief. Verily after difficulty comes ease. Allah promises that things are not going to continue like this. Allah will make things better and will supply the solutions. Now all of these guidance as a backdrop should form the basis of how we approach the old question of what is happening in the world around there. Does the virus come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yes, it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because if we think it comes from anywhere else, then we are actually committing a grave sin and think that there is a possibility that things can come from uh, a source that is other than Allah and that is clearly not possible so but the question of why the closest we can come to giving an answer because normally if we ask why is Allah doing something uh, is not something that we are able to answer because Allah does things Allah does things without us knowing why fully 
But Allah gives us an idea by saying, so that you can be tested who will respond in the best possible manner. So, but Asani, um, looking at that test, and clearly now we are expressing our sentiments in terms of how people would perceive this and the challenges because there's loss of life attached to this, there's loss of income attached to this, uh, change of social structure attached to this as well. So, with saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not test us more than we can bear, can we then say that every test that a person <coughs> is experiencing is not designed to break that person's back. So no one is being tested to a degree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give them more difficulty than someone else. Because sometimes people ask the question, why am I being tested so much? Why is Allah putting so much on me? I see others, their lives look so much easier than mine. Muhammad Fasih, if you take a normal situation, <coughs> if you have a problem and you raise your hands and you make dua and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gives you the response, immediately or shortly, then we turn back to how we lived our lives before. Often, not even thinking or remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we go back to our lives and go back to the dunya without giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a second thought. We think that all we have to do is make our salah on time and then we get back to the dunya. That part kind of belongs to us and when we make salah, that we do because Allah wants us to make salah. And even when we make salah, our minds are still filled with all the issues about the dunya. We are all guilty of that, including myself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His all-knowing mercy keeps us in a state of need till we fully comprehend and understand that is not just making dua and then you get the solution and you go back to normal life. But Allah keeps us in that state of need where we feel really close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We really understand that we are nothing but slaves and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our Rabb and in control of every single thing that affects our lives and in charge of all the solutions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps us in that state because Allah loves to see the state of that slave who is so cut off from the dunya and the solutions that the dunya may offer and the state of complete submission an acknowledgement of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala till he feels utterly helpless and then only we as slaves develop a taste of true taqwa, steadfastness and reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can. Now that would be in my view to assist us to develop true iman and taqwa. And that's one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created difficulties and tests for us to actually draw us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and further away from the dunya and the attractions and temptations of what it offers, including the whisperings of shaitan and being controlled by our own nafs. Now, Bersani, what can we do apart from just the idea of looking at this challenge differently and as an opportunity to get closer to Allah, as an opportunity to turn to Allah and depend entirely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that sense of tawakkul. How can we externally then exercise, not just within ourselves, but in, in our homes, but outside of our homes as well, to, to increase that impact and to 
cause a sense of, should I say, invoking more of the blessings and more of the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through our actions? Muhammad Fasih, we don't get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by merely reciting the Quran and making dhikr only. That's, it's almost, when we do that, it's almost selfish. That's the basic level of ibadah and worship. Salah, Quran, dhikr, it's personal. The thing that is elevated and much, much, much more beneficial to us is when we do things in an unselfish manner, when we do things for other people. That is of extremely high form of ibadah. And there's so much need out there already, and it's going to increase the need and the hardship and the difficulty and the trauma is going to increase many, many, many fold all around us, either within our own homes or in our extended families or in our communities, it's going to increase many fold. But it offers us opportunities. What kind of role can we play to bring relief? Now, maybe we can't bring relief because we've also lost our jobs. We can't bring relief materially. But the least we should do is show people that we are aware of their difficulties and that we display compassion towards them. And I'm not talking even about our families, which we have a responsibility towards our uncles, our aunts, our families, our friends, our brothers and our sisters. That's what we must do anyway. If you don't do it, you're falling far short anyway. You must do that. And you must have a plan of how you're going to ensure that you stay in contact with all the uh, technology available. It's easy to work out a method of checking up whether people are okay financially, physically, and mentally, and give them all the reminders that's necessary. But what can we do? I think it's such a useful point that you raised. To look at beyond that, if you are able to in any way assist people, for example, who are out there, the homeless, the people, uh, the beggars, the people who have no way out, they're not going to be allowed to stand on the street corners anymore. The police and the army will, will try and move them away from these areas. I don't even know where they're going to move to because they have nowhere to go to. They live on the, 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 the streets. We must try and find a way of doing something that can respond to these people because now they won't even have enough money to buy the bread from the money that they collected at standing at the robots. And don't use this as, as an excuse to say, yeah, but these people, they're going to infect you. Find a way of distributing to them as long as you observe the social distance. But don't come with the typical excuses of why you don't want to help. Rather find a way of helping, but doing it in a responsible way. And also, but certainly <coughs> contributing to uh, humanitarian organizations as a means to also assist, especially those that work on the ground, to be able to assist the people who are in need. And then also, if we look at our masajid, there will be no income for the imams. There will be in, no income for the caretakers of the masajid. So in your local community, perhaps calling on masajid to publicize the bank account details and for the masallis, for the community, to start depositing money in there to keep those masajid going, inshallah, to keep the lights on, to keep the services uh, going, and also to make sure the imam and uh, the caretakers have something to eat, inshallah. What a fantastic idea, Muhammad Fasih. Um, these are 
some of the practical ways that we can go beyond just looking at our own personal selfish interests, but to look at how we can contribute in a small way. And if you can't give money, then give goods and give support or, or come up with constructive ideas like what you've just mentioned now. But it's not just the imam and the committee who will be saddled with this problem. It will be the very community that they are looking after. So taking your concept of establishing the need of the imam and the people around him, maybe what we should be doing is looking at developing now what we do in Ramadan. Have food parcels for the people who have lost their jobs as a means of assisting where there is dire need. And brothers and sisters, I say to you, it's going to be there. In fact, it's going to be much worse than the time when people really come to the fore is the time when they do the food parcels for Ramadan. Something similar is required now. The mechanism of how we, we do it, people must discuss in the local community so that they don't do it in a way where they put themselves at risk. But that would be an amazing practical way of doing something that Allah would be extremely, extremely pleased with. And also then, uh, just finally, perhaps what we can also do as Muslims is to understand that obviously when you are giving something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not making what you have less. Allah's promised this to us. Because I mean the fear would be, well, you know, I'm giving and, you know, someone might have lost their job and have very little. Or someone might have, um, or might be working but be on short time and, you know, I don't have enough for my family. Obviously, we're not saying give everything or give you half of what you have. But even if you can contribute a little, Allah will increase that tenfold. Subhanallah. Yeah. <laughs> to give in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially in these kinds of crisis situations that we will find ourselves Allah has promised you won't get poor if you spend in my way. Now you must actually believe that. Don't go and look at your account and say, yeah, I've only got uh, three bags of sugar if I give this and the lockdown lasts uh, two months, then I won't. Give with the iman and taqwa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace that for you and make it last for as long as you require it without it's impacting on your personal situation. Allah promises, if Allah promises that you won't get poor if you spend in His way, who else can you believe if you don't believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Are you depending on your own thoughts which your nafs and shaitan is putting in your mind? Or are you going to believe what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised? Believe in Allah and trust Allah. This is one of the big, big, big things that must come to the fore. We must turn back to Allah and have steadfast, rock-solid belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's in charge. And the, maybe the other thing that I forgot to mention, which is absolutely crucial to mention. In fact, we should have a, a, a program only on that uh, in future, Muhammad Fasih, and that is sabr. That is going to be tested to the limit for many, many people in this period. People will be forced to be with one another who have never spent more than five minutes together will now be locked up together for 21 days. They're going to moan and groan and fight and, and, and argue with one another. This is going to be time of great test and patience. 
but it will be also a time of great test and patience for how we deal with the hardships that's going to be associated. So developing true sabr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, sabr is half of iman. Why is it? Because two of the things, you are patient with what Allah has decreed out there and you accept the decree of Allah in the way that you should. You don't question it. You don't ask questions why and, 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 and come up with things. You don't use the wisdom to say that you're unhappy or displeased with it. But the way you demonstrate and the way you ask your questions, it's as if you are displeased with what Allah is testing you with. This is going to be a time of exercising sabr, patience and compassion and bring out the best in us. It's an opportunity to bring out the best qualities in us as human beings instead of if we give in to shaitan, it could bring out the worst in us. Uh, but Asali, I want to say a big shukran for joining us this evening and I think perhaps in the next show we probably might be doing this over the phone uh, when the lockdown is in effect. But uh, inshallah, may Allah protect us all, this whole community inshallah, and this whole country, the world as a whole inshallah, may Allah grant that, that curve flattens and dissipates to the point where there <coughs> is no more COVID-19 in our world inshallah, only Allah can do this. And Allah can make this a reality, inshallah. You know, Muhammad Fasih, I want to appeal to the listeners out there. Lift your hands and speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the depth of your heart. Speak in your own words. Don't use Arabic terms and, and, and du'as that you don't understand. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created all languages. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows who you are. Lift your hands and plead with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give you, our country, and this world a solution to this problem and to increase our iman and taqwa in a way that it will continue after we have emerged from this crisis. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all the sincerity in your heart. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put nur. I ask, oh ya Allah, put nur and barakah and taqwa and iman in the hearts of every single Muslim out there. Accept our du'as, oh ya Allah, and make us of those people who will benefit out of this situation and not use it as a means to take us further from you, but to draw us much, much closer to you now and when this epidemic has been dealt with. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and uh, big shukran to Buddha Sali and uh, from myself Muhammad Fasih Peterson until I speak to you again inshallah I bid you wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi and obviously just a final note to reflect on is that in this time when there are so many challenges in this time when there is so much difficulty when we can do good for others when we can do any type of good when we can assist others this is a way inshallah in seeking Allah's pleasure that Allah might lift this this difficulty from us in our ibadah in our dua in any aspect we can do and in helping others inshallah no matter what short small way through all of this inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may soon lift this difficulty from the world so let's try and do as much good as we can inshallah Amen. but till I speak to you again inshallah I bid you alaikum wa rahmatullah لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله
لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله